Welcome to TC Tiawi Talks, Tia Chucha Centro Cultural located on Tataviam land in the Northeast San Fernando Valley is rooted in ancestral knowledge, culture, the arts, literacy, and social justice as a means to personal and communal transformation. It is a place where hearts and minds have united for change for over 19 years. Join us as we share the stories of personal transformation and our understanding of the world that unites us as a community. We must remember that another world has always been possible. Tiawi, a Nahuatl word for adelante to move forward. Like a spiral, together we move towards a better future, cognizant of the resiliency we carry from our past. Hi everyone and welcome. My name is Patricia. I'm an intern with Tia Chucha's Trauma to Transformation Project, and I'll be your host for this episode of Tiawi Talks, where we'll be talking about arts, advocacy, and education for Filipinos here in the U.S. and the indigenous peoples in the Philippines. It's where I'm from. I'm a first-generation Filipino immigrant, and it's where our two guests are from. I'd like to introduce Yasmin Saturai. She was born and raised in the Philippines, where her family was forced to move to the Netherlands as refugees when the Philippine military targeted her family for organizing against a mining company trying to gain access to the island of Mindoro. Her connection to her roots in the Philippines motivated her to create Pangandoy, the Manobo fight for land, education, and their future, a film about indigenous schools in the Philippines. She was also arrested with her partner, Eric Dandok, while documenting a labor strike at the Nutriasia Condiments Factory in 2018 for the independent media outlet, Alter Media. I also have the pleasure of introducing Teresa Haranilia. Teresa earned a Master's of Arts in Asian American Studies from the University of California, Los Angeles, and a BA in English from the University of Florida. Teresa has more than 10 years of experience as an English teacher in LA, where she's worked with an instructional leadership team that supports teachers. She's also coordinated a program to support English language learners, students, and their families. Outside the classroom, Teresa gained experience volunteering with a local nonprofit by helping to coordinate a youth program that serves the needs of migrant families in the Long Beach and Carson area. In this episode, we'll be talking about their experiences in advocating for the rights of Lumad peoples through art and through culturally responsive education. For everyone listening, Lumad is a Cebuano term for indigenous or native tribes in the Philippines. And with that, I'd like to welcome Teresa and Hias. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming here today. Thanks, and, Patricia. Yeah. Thanks. So I just wanted to ask, I know there's a lot going on. Um, how are both of you doing? Let's go first. I'll just go. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm doing okay. I mean, yeah, it, it's hard to just balance like... Um, you know, doing organizing work here in the U.S. and um, keeping up with the news that's happening in the Philippines um, and also acknowledging, like, the issues of our communities here. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's really um, helpful to know, like, in the midst of all these crises to just, like, have an outlet and know that you can just, like, do something about it. I think that that's what helps me and just not be stuck at home and just yeah be filled with all these bad news all around you so yeah so I I think that's that's just where I'm at yeah how are you Teresa? Um, I'm good I I think um, it's similar yeah really this can be a lot of information um, updates of what's happening uh, both here in the U.S. and the Philippines but um, I think Every time you feel, uh, you hear, you know, news that can be really discouraging or uh, really sad, there's always a, a response, a way to um, bring people together in community and, and through our organizing that brings you inspiration and hope even online, right? Like, it's amazing how resilient um, people and our community have has been to continue with the organizing um, and just adjusting in the conditions of the, the pandemic and to continue on. So that's always like a bright spot that you don't feel alone in hearing the updates and wondering what to do. There's really always um, a way to take action. Thank you. And you both bring up a good point. Um, 
we're having to do all this work in the midst of pandemic and especially for the advocacy work in the Philippines it's that distance that whole ocean between us it's 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 a big thing like even with social media um it it makes it really hard to get you know the communication we need to um to bridge with those communities and to get the information we need um do y'all mind going to a little bit more detail about um the news that's affecting our our community here and in the philippines You go. Okay. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, locally here, uh, of course, there's so much. Our Filipino community is also uh, very much impacted by the pandemic, um, especially, you know, working class communities. Uh, health workers have been impacted in a very huge way. Um, we know that because um, nurses are and other healthcare workers have been forced to migrate from the Philippines here to the U.S., um, they also have been uh, very much on the front lines and have been affected um, by the pandemic and their families as well. So um, the economic situation is definitely impacting um, working class communities, including our Filipino community. So that's a big uh, issue here. Um, but then, you know, also uh, connected to what's happening in the Philippines is, is also um, they're very much impacted as well uh, with the worsening economic condition. Um, and under um, the current um, Duterte um, administration, there really is um, intense uh, suffering of the people without a, a response, um, an adequate response from the government and um, continued repression of um, activists and other human rights um, workers who've uh, done their best um, to provide for the community to continue on uh, with their work, but um, have been faced with continued um, repression. Yeah, and I, I think just to add on top of that, you know, like, and it's something that's been happening even before COVID, we already know that, um, you know, the, the current president, the Duterte regime has really been um, yeah, human rights violator, just carrying out this very rabid attack on the people, the poor, right, and, and his critics, like people who are um, trying to raise their voice against um, his human rights violations, or even like, not just human rights violations, but even like the economic policies that really affect the people that he's um, carrying out, um, or even like the political um, issues in the Philippines, like just the corruption and everything that's just happening, like everything is going wrong um, under the Duterte regime. And so that's already been happening, right? Mm -hmm. And then when COVID hit, it really um, heightened all these um, crises that's happening, you know, brought up the economic crisis, the job crisis, um, and yeah, like everything that people are going through um, just got a lot worse, so yeah. What, what came up for me when you said that was, yes, like all these economic crises have been happening. The, these oppression has been happening. Um, really, we can say like since before the 80s, but much like the pandemic, um, Duterte really like brought it out, you know, like really heightened it. Um, yeah, so so he asked us getting her charger um <laughs> while while we're waiting um we touched a little bit about like the need for um people to to migrate out of the philippines you know out of necessity so um if you're comfortable i wanted to ask you if you could um, share a little bit about um yourself and your migration story yeah sure since yes is getting something i can start <laughs> Um, I actually uh, grew up uh, here in, in the US. Um, my uh, parents actually met in Europe. Um, so they uh, migrated and uh, met there. Um, but I uh, grew up uh, here mainly in the, the United States um, on the East Coast and then um, uh, moved uh, to um, the West Coast um, later on in life. But um, yeah, my parents, I guess, my migration story is over a couple uh, different continents um, until my my family um, migrated um, here to the U.S. Mine is very, very different from I think a lot of people um, because both my parents have been activists in the Philippines um, for a long time. Um, that's how they met through um, doing political theater together and um, they were 
um, we were living in Mindoro, an island called Mindoro, and they were fighting against like a mining company over there and organizing um, indigenous people struggles over there against the mining efforts. Um, and then, you know, when that was happening, that was under um, Gloria Arroyo um, several presidents ago, and she really unleashed attacks, like almost, I don't, I don't even know how to compare, but it was really bad, like kind of like what's happening right now too, just like um, killing indigenous people, killing activists um, who are at the forefront, or even just like, you know, everyday village people um, who are fighting against a mining company. And so it forced my parents to leave the island first and move to Manila. And then after that, like, um, the political repression even spread all the way to Manila. Like they started killing people uh, in many other places. And um, my 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 dad was was the first one to go outside of the country. He was like doing lectures in different universities about the mining situation. And um, one of his very close colleagues were was killed, um, or two of them were killed at the same time um, when he was out of the country. And you know, like it. It was kind of like a sign that it's really not safe to go back to the Philippines. And so we applied for political asylum in Europe. Um, and then we followed like three years after. Um, and so, yeah, we were, you know, like young. I think I was like 14 then when we moved. And then I just ended up in the U.S. because I went to school here, college. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how we had to leave the country. Um, very different from, you know, usually people leave for economic reasons, like for political reasons as well. Fourteen. That's not that long ago. So, <laughs> how old are you now? If I can ask. Um, I'm twenty nine. So. Yeah, that's so recent. It really like puts yeah. into, like a bigger picture. Like these things are still happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like wow. I think everyone's migration story carries so much, so much history, so much story. Um, how are your parents now? They're okay. They're, they're also still continuing with the activism um, and helping with like migrants organizing, just recognizing the links, right, of like being forced to migrate um, because of the economic crisis in the Philippines. Um, yeah, it's, it's very connected to also the reasons that they were fighting against a, mi a foreign mining company that's taking out our resources, right, mm -hmm. um, instead of like you know, all those resources actually going to the country. And so, um, yeah, they're, they're okay. That's good to hear. Um, yes, we love, oh, I love it. I love that they're still um, continuing in the work that they do. We, we learn a lot from people who've been, it for, who've been in it for a long time and they contribute a lot to our growth as advocates. Um, so with that, I wanna ask um, if you could both share a bit about um, your journey to being um, the advocates that you are now. We're always it sounds a little to cheesy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can go to follow up because it, it's coming from that family history. I guess there's more continuity. Um, yeah, like, you know, both my parents were always like bringing us around the protests and even like the indigenous communities, um, the Mangyan they're called the Mangyan communities that they would go to. So we were pretty exposed at an early age um, and we were participating, like singing songs and they really explained to us what's going on. Like they explained to us what the mining company um, is going to do to the mountains that we really love playing around at. Um, and so I felt like they, you know, I, I give much respect to my parents for like really explaining and, um, letting us understand even as children um, but I think you know there was also a shift in my understanding when um, we went abroad because it really made you know I was 14 um, you know I was like thinking more about my friends and barcadas that I had to leave in the Philippines but it did make me question like you know why did we even have to leave um, and we were surrounded by all these other migrants in the Netherlands who were talking about issues that are happening in their countries. And I felt like, oh man, like we have to tell them what's happening in the Philippines too. And so I think that's what made me like, you know, like on my own also like study what's going on in the Philippines, the news, and even like study other countries as well. And understand even for myself, like 
the reason why we had to leave and the the political economic conditions that led to that um yeah so I, I think you know it was a two-stage kind of growth and then I think it was going to the U.S. like brought it to a whole other level of like you know like in the Netherlands Filipinos are kind of scattered but here in California it's very concentrated and just like seeing the different ways that Filipino migrants struggle and like the different ways the activism here um, are taking form like different ways of organizing you know like whether it's like protests at in front of the consulate um, down to like just like door knocking to get people health insurance um, or just like asking them how they're doing like um, I think all those things just kind of like you know all put together in my head like the breadth of work that we need to do to kind of like organize the community um, that will lead, lead to like a bigger change you know it's just, it's not like a one path kind of thing so yeah that's I know what I'm thinking <laughs> off my head. Thank you. And um, Teresa, I also want to hear from you about that. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, so interesting to <laughs> hear, go back to back uh, with Yas <laughs> because it, it's uh, in some ways our, our paths converge, right? But before getting there, there really is a, a journey. Um, I, I grew up in Florida where there really weren't a, a lot of Filipinos um, in the community that we lived. And so there was really this hunger to know more um, about the Philippines. I really uh, just was able to visit a few times when I was a child. Um, and so that was that really kind of drove uh, drove me and motivated me to really want to know more. And, and it's what led me to um, campus organizing when I was a college student around um, ethnic studies, um, the fight for Asian American studies. You know, I think there were just many others um, uh, in, in Florida and other uh, parts of the country who just were hungry for that knowledge and wanting that connection um, to understand like, where they came from, you know, what are we doing here? Um, how did our families um, migrate, you know? And so I, that that experience with campus organizing uh, led me eventually to uh, come to um, California and to study um, Asian American studies um, to really get to know more of, um, of my my background, um, trying to understand the world, right? But I, it really wasn't until I uh, went on an exposure, uh, like an educational uh, program um, in the Philippines with other students and um, community, young community members from different parts of the U.S. that I uh, saw the Philippines in a completely different way. And it was a really incredible program that introduced us to different people's organizations, um, introduction to different issues from uh, women's women's issues to the, the plight of indigenous people to um, the kind of campus youth organizing that was happening, um, even uh, to visit you know farmers and uh, communities where the urban poor were organizing. And that trip uh, was very life-changing for me because it wasn't like anything I'd ever read or tried to understand on my own, but to hear from the organizers themselves um, and the people's organizations there really showed me how big the movement was. Um, and, 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 you know, we would always ask, well, what can we do? Because we're, we're going to leave. We, 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 you know, this program is only so short. And um, almost everyone said, well, um, when you go back to the U.S., what you can do is you can also help in organizing. You should join a, a people's organization and continue on. We have this uh, connection across the ocean and um, you know our, our fight is our fight together. Um, so go home and join um, an organization and uh, tell people what you saw, what you learned and continue on. Um, on the other side of the ocean. So um, I think that's really what what um, led me to the different organizations uh, here in the Southern California area and what has kept me um, going is remembering what, what all of those organizers um, and community members told us that we do have a place um, to fight alongside with them. Yeah, and I think that's so important because like I didn't know about like those issues too until I was exposed to those organizations. So. So they're right. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done here too. And I'm also curious, like how, cause I know you guys are friends. How did you know each other? Like, how did you meet? <laughs> you know, where I first met you, it was my first 
time in California, it was actually the elections for Anakbayan Los Angeles's EC. And I think Teresa was being elected for AD officer. And I was like, I think people are like whispering to me like, oh yeah, she's a teacher. So she's really good at education. And so like, I mean, that's the first time we met. And then just, I feel like a lot of my um, memories with Teresa is working on like EDs or like educational discussions. Um, Cause yeah, I, I also have like, um, yeah, I'm very interested in just teaching and education. And then like Teresa is like obviously a teacher. And so we worked a lot on like high school youth um, education workshops and even just like community um, discussion. And so, yeah, that's kind of fun, fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's always, those are always, that's uh, true. It's been many years, but um, my memories of Kias are really uh, trying out, <laughs> yeah. developing workshops, different curriculum. And it, it's always been, um, I think the most fun with the high, the high school youth, uh, lots of different um, youth from the, the area, especially um, with Filipino migrant youth. Yeah, it's been a fun time developing those things. Yeah, and I think, you know, just pointing out that I think that's what I really also, you know, I mean, there's, of course, the conviction that you have to always have in organizing, but, you know, an added bonus. And I think it's just like great to get to meet different people and then get to work with um, a lot, you know, like uh, many different people um, in the movement. But also I, I think the thing I appreciate the most is just getting to try out and figure things out. And, you know, like a lot of problem solving, trying out new things that you've never tried before and you'll never know if it's gonna work until you like really try it. And then like looking back at it, it's like, okay, what worked, what didn't and kind of just moving on from that. It's um, it's a very interesting process that I think is very integral in movement building because, I don't know, I've been reflecting a lot about it and it's hard because you're creating, you're trying to create something new, of course, like, you know, the end goal of this, the, the long-term goal is like a completely new society and no one's created that before. And we're all just like trying out in our own little ways, in different parts, so it's fun. And it's, it's challenging, but it's fun. <laughs> yes, um, that's so important because like you said it, um, you need conviction, but without the community, without the people you meet. And of course, like you need, you need fun in there too. Like that's how you keep going, right? I'm curious about the educational discussions that you guys like work together on. Can you share a little bit more about that? Oh my gosh, which one? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. With the youth. With the youth. You want to share about it, Teresa? I think I'm not sure. Um, I think for, um, well, um, every, every summer uh, we've both volunteered and helped with um, uh, this youth, um, Filipino youth program that really tried to, um, you know, uh, incorporate arts and culture, um, but also to uh, develop the leadership um, skills of Filipino youth and um, their understanding of the world around them. So just as our discussion started with what is your migration story, um, we, we started, we would start with that with them as well, right? So seeing, um, understanding your yourself, your history, um, but also placing yourself in the, the context of what is happening and what has happened um, in our, our people's history. Um, so also, you know, raising their consciousness to be able to analyze the world around them, um, but then to also take the fun uh, aspects of dance or music or poetry um, and to use those forms to express themselves, um, but then also for them to uh, be able to show to the community the issues that matter to them, um, their own stories, um, which they would always kind of present back uh, at the end of the summer to show what they've learned, um, but also like what Yasa is saying earlier, you know, we envision a, a different society and young people um, have that enthusiasm, that creativity to bring forth those ideas um, and to show to everyone, young and old, uh, what is the kind of community and society that they long to, to live in and work towards. And so um, 
that's kind of been a, a joy every summer to see that unfold and to see them, you know, grow up and um, continue on in the organizing. Yeah, it's super fun. I miss it <laughs> in person. Like, I don't know how to do it virtually. Um, but just to add, like, I think the education aspect, like, that the movement has really taught me is um, that it's, well, it's also, you know, you can read it in many books too, but um, it's not like, you know, you're a teacher and you have all this knowledge and then you just like plug it into like someone else's brain, right? Like, I think the most um, fulfilling and enjoyable educational discussions is really when it's like a discussion um, that goes like in many ways, not just like even two ways, like you really learn from each other. Uh, you know, like all these high school youth, they have like experiences at home, for example, like with their families, um, you know, trying to even get permission from their parents to go out or do other stuff. Like that's like a daily struggle for them or like getting their parents to understand um, what they're going through, just like communication issues and for them to be in like, you know, for us, we're just facilitating this conversation that they're having with their peers who are also experiencing a lot of um, similar stuff and they have a lot of you know advice to say to each other um and then also just seeing that process of them realizing that oh it's not just like me or it's not just like my parents you know sole issue like and then like what you know as facilitators teachers educators in the community um helping bring in this more systematic analysis of like where are, what are the cultural roots of these um you know issues that you're having at home, like why are Filipino parents so strict? Um, wh where is that generational gap coming from? Like, you know, and a lot of it is coming from like, you know, the culture in the Philippines too, where families are very hierarchical and, you know, like as children, you're supposed to just follow. Um, but, you know, we can imagine different families too in the future, right? And like maybe how to have conversations with your parents too. And so just like, I, I think that's, um, you know, an example of how different it is as well from just mainstream ways we view education. So, yeah, I feel like those are things that we would nerd out to. <laughs> Absolutely. I, oh my gosh, I wish there was yeah. a program like this when I was growing up. Like, it sounds so important. I think asking um, youth those questions, like asking them to imagine a society how they want it, it's like, um, we we need more of that and, and using arts um, as a way to do it and to reconnect with culture um, I think is is so important so thank you for for facilitating those I'm still and let me process that because it's so cool I feel like there's enough materials out there that we can always share <laughs> Do you still hold these um, discussion groups um, like virtually? I'm not recently. I don't know. For you, I think there was an attempt in the summertime, um, but um, you know, it, it's it's much more challenging virtually. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we'll continue to find ways to engage uh, young people. I think it's of course still needed, but it's definitely a a challenge. Um, to have the kinds of programming that we we had in the past and education um, online. Definitely. And I think one more point that um, resonated with me with what you said is um, how this is different from mainstream education. Um, and yesterday I was talking to um, CSUN's Pathways program and how they view mentor mentorship and really how the how you can measure like success in that relationship is if the, the teacher, the mentor uh, is learning from the students, which is so different from how we're as a society, like measuring it. We have like tests, like did this, did the kids learn this, 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 but like, what, what did the teacher learn from, from the students? And, and more importantly, like um, was community formed between the, the peers, which is, yeah. So I guess I also want to ask, cause I know both of you have, um, done work with LUMAD groups in the Philippines. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that? Um, sure. Um, yeah, for me, it was um, 
where do I start? Because my interest in it also started in just like, you know, as children when my parents would take us to indigenous communities. And then like, yeah, just remembering those memories of going to their communities, sleeping in their in their Baha'i Kubos and playing in the river with their kids. Um, and just, I think as I got older, I wanted to just understand that more um, and just understand their struggle more. And then I started, um, when I was here organizing in California, I started hearing about indigenous schools in Mindanao um, that the indigenous people themselves are building. And so I was like, you know, like doing all these education stuff already and then like connecting it to the, the indigenous people's struggles in the Philippines. I was like, oh man, it was like, I really want to see it. Um, and I think Teresa was part of that batch who was telling, who was before me. And like when I first heard about it, that really made me want to go there um, and just like understand how, how are they able to build their schools, right? Um, and so, yeah, I, I used it for my not used it but um basically like in my college we're supposed to have like senior projects and so that, that was just like what I ended up doing is um going there um spending like I think almost two months in the community and then like my end product was creating a documentary about the schools um so it was yeah a, a very fruitful journey um and I appreciate it because um how we planned it um, even in conjunction with my professors is to really like first integrate with the communities, like not take out the cameras yet. And so that was actually the longer period. And then um, after like understanding what they're going through and building trust with them, like also asking them like, you know, what are the stories you would want to tell? What are the stories you would want to put out there? And really working with the community on building that documentary. So I ended up making um, Pangandoy which means like aspirations or dreams, um, which is all about the schools, um, the indigenous schools in the Philippines. So, yeah, but yeah, I just realized that now that I think some of the first stories were from Teresa's batch that I heard. So maybe you can share how it was like for you too. Yeah, sure. Um, I was able to spend a summer. Um, I joined this uh, international solidarity mission, and that was the, the first time that I was able to see the schools in Mindanao. Um, it uh, was an incredible kind of batch of people to go with because um, Filipino and non-Filipino non um, people of different backgrounds, uh, faith leaders, educators, artists, um, photographers, people who really just um, heard about the schools like I did and the, the campaign work that um, was happening even before I was able to, to visit um, by other organizations um, and individuals who had gone to the schools and have saw, you know, what an alternative <laughs> a school could look like um, in areas where um, families and children have not had access to schools or uh, basic necessities like um, health care. Um, and so my, my visit there was uh, really an incredible experience to um, hear from the community members and the students themselves um, how the school um, was built and um, how it continues to really be a big part of, of their lives. Um, to witness um, also how they design, you know, curriculum in such a different way. Um, the idea like that the classroom is actually your entire community. It's the world around you. And um, it's not just what you write on a blackboard in these four walls, but um, seeing how it really was designed to um, uplift the uh, culture of the indigenous communities um, to learn um, about, you know, the plants and the, the land and uh, even the, the music and the dance um, that the children shared to us as visitors um, at the time told the story of um, their history, um, but also uh, the history of the the history and the current resistance that um, the communities uh, continued on against, um, you know, mining, um, the kind of illegal logging and the building of dams in some areas that um, really threatened their, their livelihood. And so um, you could also see how um, culture um, and the, the use of art was also a big part of um, their lives and, and impactful for us to hear uh, their, their stories in that way too. Um, 
So yeah, that was uh, years ago, but I think um, batches after continued to visit and uh, to see and people even wanting to return um, to see the schools and how they've developed um, over the years because it really is an inspiration to, um, to, to all of us. But I think uh, as an educator, it was so fascinating to see a completely different model um, of school um, as we imagine. Um, really being uh, integrated into the community and really built for the needs of the community. Yeah, um, I was, um, I saw a little glimpse of that in Hias's documentary. And one of the, uh, the residents said that this school um, kind of helped um, tighten the glue in their community. Now that this is this thing that's here, then um, yeah, I think their, their bonds are in that area too, just got um, stronger. Um, I also am curious if you could share a little bit of background of um, why this alternative model um, needed to happen. Um, we also mentioned a little bit about the, the mining operations that's been happening there. Um, how has that affected the educational access in the area? Yeah. I mean Oh, you can go ahead. <laughs> I could just start off, and then you can you can add um, the the um, the the school the area where uh, the schools were really built. There were no schools there. Um, it really was a, a need that was identified in the community that you know young people, uh, the community as a, as a whole, really needed um, schools um, and to be able to access education um, in these kind of far flung areas. Um, and so the schools were, you know, designed with the community in mind and, and built uh, with the community to um, support um, them, you know, empowering them to fulfill that need. Um, but of course, uh, very much um, the areas where the schools are built and where these communities are on top of very um, uh, rich land, um, their ancestral land that um, is attractive to foreign mining corporations and, and other uh, um, projects that would really that threatened um, the land that they're on. Um, so it, it has, um, over the years, they're really um, fought to keep the schools open, but have, uh, they've been heavily militarized and shut down um, because of these fights um, against the, the big, you know, corporations coming into to mine. I think in addition to that context of how it even came about um, in, in its history, the indigenous communities there, um, they were telling me that they've been um, tricked into signing off some parts of their land because, I mean, under Philippines law, there's like ancestral domain that's supposedly for them, right? Like for their tribes, for their, um, yeah, for their communities. Um, but then when there's like mining interests coming in or like logging, like in the communities where I was in, it was um, logging in their history. Um, yeah, like people are, people go there with like a blank piece of paper and just get people to like put in their thumbprints, which is, you know, a sign that they signed it and they consented to like allowing these corporations to like take out the trees from their land, you know, and they don't know anything. And um you know, people who are, the companies who are coming in are just saying like, oh yeah, you're, you know, this is good for you because you can get jobs and you'll get wages and you'll be able to buy like cans of sardines from, from the city and just like have this lifestyle that, you know, like they're not living in a bubble. They know how the towns look like. Um, and that's projected as like, you know, the good life. Um, and so, um, yeah, they end up like giving away parts of their land and then eventually seeing the harm that the logging does um, and even like the cultural effects of it, um, the culture that they lose when that happens. Um, and you know, when all the wood is done like and the company leaves, you know, there's nothing. Um, and so I think the community itself realized that they wanted their children to learn how to read and write and understand all these things that are being brought to them. And so they're the ones who also initiated and asked for like, the organizations in the city to help them build schools. And so, yeah, they actually, um, you know, it was it was very much in conjunction with the community leaders there. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think um, that does relate to um, like these these schools and how it's responsive to their to their needs and culture. It's um, it's a form of resistance to the things that's been happening to their environment um, and their way of life. I'm I'm curious how the school that um, you both have worked with is doing. Like, how are they now? Oh man, <laughs> I mean it's sad because um, I think the one. I mean, I went to multiple ones, but I think the one that was featured in the film had to close down. Um, and the pretty much, you know, a big part of the community had to evacuate and go to the city to kind of like put out the call that, hey, you know, our, our community is getting militarized and no one is hearing us from up there. And so they had to go to the city. Um, but there in, in the city, they continued having those schools, they call them the Bakwit schools. It's called Bakwit because it came from evacuations and Bakwit. Um, and so it's kind of like the short term for it. Um, and so, yeah, there's still like volunteer teachers continuing that. Um, but I don't know if people have heard recently the news that um, some of the Bakwit schools have even been attacked. So there was one in Cebu that was recently raided um, and Actually, one of the interviewees, the, the Datu there that you were talking about, um, who's talking about their education, is one of those who got arrested, so Datu Benito. Um, and so, yeah, like I've been seeing him just in the city trying to advocate for the schools, but um, yeah, they, they're just met with constant attacks, being accused that um, these schools are indoctrinating them, but you know it's really the communities who wanted these schools to happen. And if you talk to these children, um, they know what they're learning. Like they're they're super sharp, um, and they're down for it. You know, it's not like they're just reciting things from history books or you know whatever that I've seen in other places. But they they really know if you can keep them asking questions and they can engage in a debate. Um, you know, if you ask them to. So, um, yeah, so that, that's the update, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, like they, they're still fighting. Um, they're very, um, yeah, they continue with the resistance, um, protect their culture, their land, their schools, their community. Thank you. Thank you for that update. And I'm so sorry to hear about what happened to that school. And, um, their leader did that too. I think um, I'll I'll link resources to to news about that um, in the YouTube um, page. But yeah, I, I heard about what had happened and how it's being framed as a rescue as opposed to a raid, where it makes no sense to me because in the videos you see the children being handcuffed. Um, I think that that tells you like. So much of what you need to know in that act and how terrified the the children were it's it's so sad um yeah i guess i i want to ask if you guys can share um a favorite moment you had when you were um living and integrating with this community um just kind of like i guess introduce a little um positivity in that situation I think one of the highlights for me, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, uh, there were a lot of people who came also from the city and were providing different psychosocial um, services for the children because they were very much affected by a big typhoon uh, in that area. So there was like a lot of structured programming that was happening uh, while we were there. Um, but I think one of the highlights for me was a an unstructured kind of discussion with the children, just little a little bit of downtime. And um, we were able to ask them, you know, what they thought about the schools, what were some of their uh, dreams, you know, for, um, for their community and for themselves. And um, I was very surprised because here in the US, when you ask children, what, what are your dreams? Like what you know, what do you want to become? Their answers are like, I want to be a basketball player or a doctor, or I want to be a millionaire. <laughs> um, but many of the children um, said that their dream was really to um, be teachers in their schools. 
um, to be able to continue on like their, um, the fight that their community had. Um, and their, their biggest dream was to continue on with their schools <laughs> because um, it was such a big part of their community and um, they really respected, you know, all the changes that happened because they were able um, to create such a beautiful, you know, um, school for their, for themselves that wasn't just like a, a building where you learn math, you know, but it was a, a place where they um, saw the community come together um, to be able to receive um, and, and provide resources to the community, but also where they felt empowered. And so it was a very, you know, uh, heartwarming for me to hear um, the students say that they want to stay in their communities, they want to grow, you know, the, the nursery that they started, they want to see it flourish as like their farms um, with their native plants, you know, they, they want to be able to teach um, uh, as teachers to their, the, their younger, you know, siblings and other community members. Um, that's, that's their dream. And it's a big dream because it's, it's creating, you know, a society and a community where they feel secure and they feel um, empowered to make the changes that are, are needed. Um, but then, you know, to think about that now is, is hard because they don't have that. Um, they've had to, as, as a form of resistance, you know, uh, leave their communities um, to, to share uh, what is happening. But um, I think for me, that was, it always uh, stayed with me um, because so many of my students before never would say that they would ever <laughs> want to be teachers or, uh, you know, to, to stay in their communities and to um, learn kind of uh, the ways of, of how to farm and how to um, really build up uh, the, the, very, the neighborhood, you know, the community that they're in. But um, it really showed the impact um, of the school and uh, not just the school, but what was happening in that community um, on the children that they really felt this uh, desire to stay and to uh, continue on with its transformation. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I, I just want to say that for, for better or for worse, I know, I know you helped them to get a little bit closer to that. Yeah. I'm like trying to pick one because yeah, when you go there, you really learn a lot and you really experience a lot. Like I feel like even from like the trip going up there it's you know it's not like you just get in a car and then like you're there at the school like you know like you have to hike and it's not like the normal hike too and then like people help you so like you know just like even the the whole community effort and just like helping visitors go up there um and how they welcome you um yeah just like trying to get to know you you know some people are shy and all these things um but i'm like trying to choose which memory was like my favorite um but I, I think one um experience that I I just like it's, it's just very simple um but it was I think it was like kind of downtime it was weekend but there were two girls who were staying in the school because they live in like a community that's like nine hours away from the school and so you know they just decide to stay there most of the time and then go home every now and then um but yeah, it was downtime. Um, the mother who was also interviewed in the film gave us like this just like whole basket of cassava. Um, and so we're like, oh, let's make um, cassava suman, like, you know, this steamed cassava cake, I guess, um, that's wrapped in banana leaves. Um, and yeah, it was just like a nice afternoon where it's, it's, you know, those two girls who really took lead and just like teaching us how to do it. And we, like everything was from scratch. We took this like um, the can from sardines and like used a nail to poke holes through it. So it has these jagged edges. So we use that as a grater. Um, and then we just like had to work a lot to just grate all that cassava and then like mix it with sugar. And then they were just like telling us all these stories like throughout the process. Um, I think it's when those teachers were also there also learning from the students and telling us like, yeah, we had to like, also learn their language you know we don't just like we're not the ones who are like teaching the language to them like bringing English or whatever um, and to just like see the dynamics also of the relationship between the teachers and the students really like yeah they're just like friends you know and you know it kind of like brought me back to just this 
thing we were just talking about about families right there's always this hierarchy of like the parent is always right but like over there they were really like learning from each other um and you know in in this very everyday context of like creating food um that was just there from their backyard um it was from casal but they, they planted like a year ago so they even like told us about the system they had of like planting every certain period so that they always have something um every month and yeah I, I just like I feel like I learned a lot from just that one afternoon of making cassava suman and it was it was super good too so <laughs> yeah I, I think that's one of the moments there that sounds so so <laughs> warm and wow I hope well did you um take home a cassava suman recipe <laughs> I think I did. Well, the recipe it's you know i didn't write anything down you just have to keep tasting it mm-hmm. hope that it turns out good yeah i learned how to make it from practice i guess That's awesome <laughs> and i love the diy grater yeah. <laughs> um well it looks like our time is almost up but i have one more um, question for both of you um In the Pangandoy documentary, there was a teacher um, who shared her, her, um, I guess, views of what the community could look like 10 years from now. And she said um, the community and their environment, they would have a lot of trees and that their culture is, is thriving, um, that the people are no longer going hungry and um, it's healthy and peaceful. What they plant is theirs. Um, she she mentions that. So I want to ask what has to happen for the community to get there or what is already happening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> want to take a stab at it, Teresa? <laughs> what needs to happen? I mean, I think they, uh, it's a long road, um, but the I think what the communities um, are doing and um, continuing to speak out um, and continuing their resistance and defending their their land um, and our um, our role in that as well as people um, um, overseas who are far away from the Philippines but still um, really have that deep connection to it is part of it, right? Our um, continued uh, work to ensure that um, they have uh, the right to self-determination, that they have the right to live on their land um, is, is part of it as well, right? Um, and um, to ensure that uh, they, they are protected right, that their basic rights um, are not being violated, um, human rights of, of all in the Philippines, but in particular, um, if, if we look at the struggle of the Lumad, uh, the rights of indigenous peoples um, to live and to uh, thrive on their land is one that is not just their fight, but uh, for those in the city, for those in other countries who see the importance of uh, solidarity, Um, which we saw expressed, you know, in that, um, in a recent action, um, uh, online action calling for uh, the freeing of the Luma 26, young people from all over the U.S., um, other groups, uh, people of faith, um, educators, uh, different walks of life, seeing the importance of the struggle of the Lumad um, and our role in also speaking up um, to ensure that they uh, they can continue to to live and um, not just live but uh, uh, build you know this this society that they um, that they see for themselves. Yeah, um, it is a long road ahead. Um, it also makes me think about you know like if I just think about the community and what that teacher said of yeah having like you know, their, their mountains full of trees again and their schools, um, like as a community, they can totally do that. Like um, they're, they're already doing it, you know, they're, um, they're keeping their, they're trying to protect their forests, they plant trees, they have their schools. A lot of the teachers are actually, I, I think, you know, there's like generations of people um, going to the schools already so they can teach each other at that, like at this point. So 
it's it's super possible um but what's really preventing that is you know the the bigger social context um they're in where these efforts to really build that community is under attack right um why is building a community-based school um you know tagged as terrorism in the philippines right so there there's that big social context that you know if if we could change that um yeah like the communities can really yeah find self-determination and determine you know that's what self-determination means like um, where they want to bring their community to um, and so I, I think that's where you know what Teresa is talking about um, the connection of our role um, is seeing that bigger picture that we really need to remove or, or like change this bigger thing that's blocking um, the, the growth and development um, of our communities, the progress of our communities, right? Um, which is the, the systemic oppression, um, the economic crisis um, that, you know, is embedded in this system in the Philippines and even across the world right now. And so I, I think for me, that helps make that connection on like, okay, why, why do I need to go door knocking um, and do the survey tomorrow and understand, you know, the needs of the migrants. How is that connected to this 26 um, Luma children and teachers who are arrested? You know, it's, it's all part of the big fight. And um, I think overseas, it, you know, it takes some time to like see that, um, but it's there, the, the connections are there um, for us to make and yeah, for us to really see that we're all fighting for this better future i guess and it sounds super nice and you know it's it's not an easy path and there's a lot of um problems on the way a lot of struggles but yeah we'll get there <laughs> that's what needs to happen we just need to make it happen <laughs> yeah and and i think it is a long way but reflecting back i think we've also gone a long way if we're talking about education um, I think we are starting to see from their earlier efforts to start their own schools um, and teach self-determination in those schools. We're seeing now like strong leaders from that community who have probably benefited from those education um, uh, rise up and, and help their community. And, and it's awesome. And <laughs> you touched a little bit too about the diaspora, um, like knocking on doors to support migrant rights, how that's connected to um, fighting for LUMAD rights. I think um, definitely um, we, we've been spread out, but uh, we're also connected to that bigger, that bigger picture. Um, yeah, but thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed <laughs> talking to the both of you. It's fun being an interview with Teresa. I don't think we've been in this context before. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for inviting us, bringing us together. It's always fun. <laughs> I hope you learned something new from this too, if you did, like from each yeah. other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course. I always learn something new every time in the storytelling because there's so much. I mean, yeah. in our own experiences, um, there's always new, new things to learn. And from you too, uh, Patricia. So thanks uh, for, for having thank us you. and for sharing too um, as we get to know each other. Yeah. yeah. Interview you next time. Oh wow. Thank you. Um and yeah, if you guys have any resources that you want me to to share with our agency or with anyone listening to this podcast, like send me a link and I'll I'll put it to Can I add real quick? Yes. I mean I think all of us. I mean we're we're part of Malaya movement, right? To just like put it out there that mm -hmm. it's it's one just very tangible way of just taking that first step of like learning more about what's going on in the Philippines and kind of addressing the issues um, that's going on there. So yeah, join Malaya yeah. <laughs> if you're interested. I'll, I'll link the card. That's it. Thank you. All right. Thanks. 
you again for joining us. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and follow Tia Chuchas on social media. Please support our online bookstore. You can find the links in our podcast bio. Stay safe, stay creative. Tia Wing.